What is going on, guys? And welcome to our brand new podcast series called Inside the Mind. I'm super excited. This is episode one. And for those of you that are wondering, Inside the Mind is going to be all about various different topics. We're going to be covering things from technical analysis to psychology, mindset, all of those things, and probably a little bit of things that are controversial to give you the most transparent overview of not just the forex industry, of what it really takes to succeed in this market. I can't wait to dig into all of the topics that we've got covered. And episode one it is my absolute pleasure and honor to have Mr. Abdullah Salam on our episode one, as formerly known as Abdu. Abdu, how's everything going on your end? I'm doing really well, man. Thanks for having me on. I think this is going to be absolutely incredible. I'm super, super excited for this. Firstly, did I pronounce your name properly? Yeah, you got it right. I mean, if you want to go Arab, it'll be Abdullah, but you know, that's <laughs> <laughs> why most people just go for Abdu. It's a lot easier and rolls off the tongue. Close enough, close enough. No, but I'm, I'm super excited to have you on. This is going to be super fun. We're going to be going into a lot of different topics and I'm keen to get into it. I think that first and foremost, I would love those of you that know, like Abdu's been doing the backtesting webinars for a long period of time, giving so much value to the community and those of you that know him very well. But for those of you that don't, I'm hoping that what this episode does is gives you more of an insight into Abdu's journey, what he's been through, the level that he's trading at. I can't wait to get into all of those details. So let's actually start off, Abdu, from where you first started. How long have you been trading overall? How long have you actually been in this industry? So I started to trade in uh, late 26, uh, 2016, started 2017. So now we're going in on fifth year. Uh, but honestly, I think the journey started way before that because to me, because I, I know what your next question to me is, how do I find out about trading, right? Mm. <laughs> but it's one of those things I remember uh, growing up, I used to play this game called RuneScape. And I played it, for those of you who know the game, I played it like the way most people did. You played it for years. Mm. And at some point in the game, there was something called Game of Chance that was introduced, and there was an unofficial update in the game. It was actually community-driven by the players. And long story short, it was gambling. But the difference is, I was on the house side, you know, and how I got there is conversation for another time, but it was basically a friend who had invited me in. And this is where it became really interesting, because I was still really young at the time. This is back in 2011, 2012, right? So at that point, I'm a young teenager, playing this game and all of a sudden I'm introduced to this entire gambling world. But the difference is, is I'm the casino this time. And I didn't know it at such a young age, but the experience of that would begin to mold who I am for the rest of my life. Because at that point, obviously when, when you introduce risk and probabilities, and I didn't know any of this at the time, this was just someone playing a game, you know, and it became real. We, there was money risk, which was the RuneScape gold, which had real life value to it. And none of this was exposed to me at the time. All I became was literally just addicted to gambling. But what I didn't know was the lessons that I was going to uncover within it. And that would eventually translate into me becoming a trader, which funny enough was just someone who linked a trading website at the time. And I was like, oh, what's this? It, it kind of went from there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> See, that, that's interesting, right? Just going back to that, because how old was you roughly? Was it like 14, 15 when you was doing so that? Of the age, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's a very, very young age to start being involved in these things where you can make a lot of money. Like, uh, just run me through that. Was it normal to make 10,000, 8,000? What were the kind of figures that were happening in that industry, in that space kind of I mean, happened? On, on the high end, it wasn't uncommon to start making $1,000 a day. You can, mm -hmm. you can do more if you risk more and you were playing like a bit more stupidly. But honestly, $1,000 is not uncommon. You know, and, and to do that off of video game from the comfort of your own home, like back then entrepreneurship wasn't really as popular as it is today. The idea of working from home was not socially accepted. 
you know, and, and video game was, was a very nerdy thing to publicly admit. In this day and age now, we're, we're still not even fully there. But if you're a professional player for an esport, for instance, it's, it's known as like you're killing it. Mm-hmm. But back then, if you're like you're chasing professional esports, I remember at the time, because obviously I was, I was addicted to video games as well. If you wanted to go pro, if you weren't the, the if you were the best of the best, you were going to make like 100K a year, which is just not worth it to give up your entire life for 100K a year that might only last a couple of years. You know, that's the difference between that and like, say, football. You might only play professional football five, six years, but you'll make like a hundred million or whatever that you can sustain off for the rest of your life. But to take that risk and back then, that was the thing is being introduced. It, it, it's funny enough, it wasn't even the real life value that was uh, right away. It was the amount of money within the RuneScape economy first was more than I had made. Like I made the amount of money in that game in like two days, more than what I made five years prior playing that game legitimately, mm-hmm. you know, and doing the skills to, to raise capital in the game. So it was the same perspective, not changed. And then as I got better at it and understood the risks and playing the odds and the sample sizes, I made more and more money. But the only problem within it was that the entire game was like the the games of chance were based in RuneScape, meaning RuneScape could shut it down at any point in time. And then they did, you know, and that was a downside of having a business within a business was in the back of my mind. I knew I couldn't do this forever. And it was fun. It was great. It lasted about four or five years in, in different variations because they did shut them down and then we'd come back through different games of chance, which also taught adaptability. But for the most part, honestly speaking, there was that thought process in the back of my mind that I really hated was I don't have a job forever here. Like at some day I have to I have to move on, you know, I have to do something else. And that's what affected me because I still had real life knocking on my door. A hundred percent, and and I think back then, like getting getting involved in something like that, it's not the average person was doing that, especially making the money, experiencing the risk, like at such a young age, fourteen, fifteen. It's very, very difficult to to understand how to cope with that. But now looking back, how well that was priming you for trading without even realizing. Now I know from a risk perspective, maybe not the same thing, but it taught you what risk management should look like versus what I'm sure you experienced. If we go back to there of how you're trading right now, do you think that that is a big, big reason as to why you understood how to think in probabilities a lot easier? Absolutely. And I'll tell you why. It's a couple of ways. One, we didn't operate on risk because the difference was is we had we had odds we can calculate. And what I mean by that is when you're trading a certain setup, let's just say a three touch ascending channel, you don't actually know the the odds of you winning that hand. You could say it's high probability, but if I asked you what is the statistical number, you wouldn't know what it is. You'd be like, oh, I think it's like 75% chance, right? But when you actually have more concrete data, which like if you play blackjack, for instance, you can actually know the exact hand uh, the edge exact you have, all you need to do is play the sample size now accordingly. So that was the interesting part because for some of the games of chance we played, I had a 73% chance of winning. And that's a huge, huge number. When you look at most games at the casino, they're between 51 to 54 to the house. Whereas this, we were at 73% chance. So what did 73% chance do to me? It basically removed risk factor out of the equation because in the back of my mind, I think I can win everything. You know, I have 73% chance of winning. Who cares? And second, you can't control the risk, meaning whatever the better comes up, the person who's going to participate, you take whatever it is he's going to put up. So you'd see massive swings. You'd see something like, I can, let's just say somebody comes up with $10 and the next person with $10 and $10 and $10. I win, 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 win. And then the fifth guy is someone who bets $1,000 and I lose that one. Even though I won four and I lost one, I lost the wrong one. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you'd see those swings because all of a sudden, 
I'm like, man, like I, I should have won that. I should be up. You know, I've won four, lost one. But that's the thing about risk. It minimizes that damage. And I saw what it did to me and to those around me, which I think was a huge plus because not only did I saw the effect of my life and how I was reacting to it, but I saw what was happening to everyone else and what happened with that high injection of capital as well. Like to the people that made a lot of money in a very short period of time, they did what they were expected to do. And that was dumb reactions after the fact, you know, they, they overspent, they gamble. And that's what happened to us too. We'd be bored. We were so addicted that if no one was betting, we'd bet against one another. And the only way you're, you're, you're betting against another host, you bet them at 50-50 chance. There's no way you're going to give up odds to someone like on the same time, on the same team as you. So that shows you the level of addiction that we had because we just wanted to be in the game 24-7, even if it meant us giving up edge. And it, But in another way, it taught me sample size. I got to see probability at the highest events, hundreds of thousands of hands. I got to see sequences that I remember there was this one particular time where I lost like 15 in a row, like losing 15 in a row at 73% chance. That doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. You're like, how do I lose 15 in a row? You know, and it's the same basic logic that you're like, I have to win the next one. And you ask why? And you're like, well, I lost three in a row. It's like you're owed a win. And that was a joke we used to have, you know, I'm owed wins after you lost a lot, right? As if the previous role had any indication on the next one. So all these things you might understand logically, but to actually live them, feel what it's like to, uh, to be exposed to the side of risk where you can make a lot and lose a lot. And all that could just be minimized by having a fixed risk because you actually don't know what's going to happen next. Yes, the likelihood is if you have an edge, you'll probably work out in a better situation. But if you overrisk and it's that one time it doesn't work out, you're done. And you needed money to get back in the game, which funny mm. enough, that was also a system we had going where we'd loan each other money if someone needed because we knew in the long run they'd make it back. So there was all these loans happening. But in real life, you blow your trading account, it's very unlikely someone's just going to throw you another 100K. You know, like it's just it's so unlikely. Yeah, I don't know many of those that are going to do that. But this is why risk management is is almost so underrated, which is why we don't play with the numbers because it's very, very arrogant and ignorant of us to think that we know the sequence of these things, that we can just decide when we want to risk this amount of capital, right? Because it's then saying that we know exactly when something's going to happen. And even then, right, it just makes me think about majority of people they're not comfortable understanding what thinking and probabilities is now i want to throw this question over to you for someone who from a very very young age was experiencing that right probabilities sample size all these different things why do you think that that is one of the most difficult things for people to uncover right because technical analysis people can learn they can understand it if we go over some technical analysis someone could follow along and say yep get that understand that that makes sense but then when they take trades, they still feel all of the emotional triggers. Why do you think that is? Simple. You're not exposed to probabilities in real life. When you actually break down your life, how often are you exposed to probabilities? We're almost dealing in certainties 24 seven, mm -hmm. right? Where, where, where are you dealing in probabilities? When you apply to university that you might get rejected. So that's situation number one. Second time when you're going to ask someone out because they might reject you. So it's like, hey, I think I'm worthy of, let's just say this girl, I think she'd like me, I'm going to ask her out. And all of a sudden, yeah, and in your mind, you're like, she's going to say yes, because X, Y, and Z reasons. And then she says no. So that's the second situation. Mm -hmm. But apart from that, where else does it happen? School? Not really, because usually how well you do in school correlates with how well you study. Like you could say exams are a game of chance. They're not. Usually they're about, they tell you what the subject is, like all these things. And when it comes to jobs, it's a direct linear relationship. Either you're on a sal salary or you're on an hourly wage. 
Meaning I go to work today, I'm going to work eight hours. I'll get eight times my hourly wage. I will walk home with this at the end of the day, no matter what. But when you're in probability, that's so different because I can take the world's greatest trade and it could just lose. And you have to be okay with that. And you have to be able to pull the trigger again. How long does it actually take to be accustomed to that? And you have to be okay with the voices around you telling you it doesn't work because most people around you don't know how to trade. Most people around you don't know how to invest. People hide behind clever words like research, right? Which really mean nothing objectively because mm-hmm. it's just a word to hide a bunch of things. And you have to be able to back yourself. You have to be able to back yourself to the highest degrees, which you don't just need a confident person. You need experience because it's so difficult. Like, I think it's cool in one way to say, oh, I'm the man who stands against the whole crowd. Imagine actually standing against the whole crowd. And also, if you're going to stand against the whole crowd, you have to be sure you are right. It's not just a thing of everybody's a sheep and everybody's dumb and I'm the right one because that's probably just ego. Mm -hmm. But imagine if you actually are right and you have a thousand voices in front of you telling you, hey, you're wrong, but you know you're right. You're not exposed to that in your life. And that's where it takes a lot of time because all of a sudden, when I say sample size, I'm talking hundreds and thousands Whereas people are not comfortable losing three times in a row. You take a high probability trade and you lose it three times in a row. You almost feel like your expectations are violated. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like there's something wrong, you know, like it's impossible to lose three times in a row. It, it's not that as you get better, it doesn't happen as often, but, or I'd say, I'd, I'd say at least you don't lose eight times as often anymore. I, I don't remember last time I was on an eight X loss streak, but three times loss is not uncommon. Don't, they don't happen every single time, but they will happen like a few times a year. And it is what it is. And you have to be able to in a position to say, yes, I did the right thing. I'll do it again. Boom. But to get to that point that you can confidently shake, say that, it's the same thing in even investments where in crypto, for instance, I knew some of my holdings were going to pull back a dramatic amount. Even if you know it's about to pull back 40, 50%. It still sucks when you're down 50% because there's that thought process of, hey, even though I knew it was going to pull back before the next leg up, what if it doesn't? Mm-hmm. And that is so scary in the moment, even if you do anticipate it. So it's the same thing in, in life. You're not exposed to any realm of probabilities. It's all certainties. And it, why? Why do people go for jobs? Because of security. Why do people get university degrees? Again, the degree means certification, which means higher probability. Funny enough, like that's the way they use probability, but in essence with security, and certainty is someone with a university degree is way more likely to get a job than someone without. Fine, fair enough. But the problem is in that mentality is it also teaches you perfectionism, meaning if I understand more TA, if I understand more strategies, I can have a 100% strike rate. In theory, that sounds great. Yeah, I, I, I want to logically say, if you understand everything about the market, you should be able to have a 100% strike rate. But when you actually understand the intricacies, it doesn't work like that. Because there are different ways of trading, there are different ways, and you have to understand you have an edge, not a certainty. And you have to play the edge and not play the perfection, which exactly. is so difficult, yeah. Even then, just from what you're saying, it's, it, this is such an important topic. Like Even on that basis, you take a thousand people in the room, right? Take a thousand people in a room, just by understanding how humans are, how they behave, the majority of people, this doesn't go for everyone, this is why this is more of a majority, but a very, very high majority, you take a thousand people, most of them would not be comfortable with having that much information. Like there's only a very, very small percentage of people that can know everything about the market and not let that affect multiple different decisions along the way. Imagine that right now you literally knew everything. You knew every tick that you can imagine about the market. 
How much more difficult do you think it would be to place a decision on such a simple entry, like, for example, breaking the double top and pushing back in? It would be way more difficult because you're taking so much more into consideration. Why, why do we say like usually like ignorant people are happier because they're thinking of less, right? And and that's a part that actually slightly works into your favor. You, you see this a lot with people who come into trading and then they win right away because trading is only two directions up or down. So you can actually just guess it. And if you were to purely guess it over and over, you're probably going to hover around that 50-50 mark if you actually purely guessed it. So they come in, they win like three, four in a row and they're like, oh yeah, I bought bottoms. That's great. And they could have been any bad double bottom. And they're like, this is it, you know, I'm done. I've mastered it. But then as you introduce more into the rules, then it becomes more difficult because they're like, oh, this position won't work out because of this. So they almost predict the probabilities again, which that's the part they don't realize is, wow, this position shouldn't have worked out because of this. And that one should do this because of that, that you almost in a way become the market, which in a really bad parallel is that perfectionism coming back. And that's the part where you could see that it comes back. And I've said this in different ways where the demons you beat earlier in life, they don't die. They, they evolve with you and they come back in different ways. And that's the part where I think most people need to be aware of that is they evolve with you as you grow, they grow too. And you rise and you have bigger and bigger challenges to learn, but it's all part of the journey. Definitely. Definitely. And like one of the most dangerous things that you can say in trading is I, right. And you hear that a lot because it's fueled <laughs> by ego. The moment that it, when it's, you know, encouraging perfection as what you were talking about, the moment that your mind is thinking about, well, I, I need it to do this, or I feel like it needs a little bit more. I, 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 it becomes very, very much about you, which is why we focus on neutralizing that as much as possible. When ego's involved in the market and we're not thinking in probabilities, it's so easy to go down that road of like, well, I need this, I need that. That was actually one of the main reasons why I started Falcon Abdu. That's one of literally the main reasons that from an overview, and it's not that, look, I know all the answers and I could see everything. It's just, it was a very, very clear observation as to how this industry has shifted, which is what I'm going to go on to my next question. As this industry has shifted, it's attracted more of that. So it's become more egotistical. And well, that's good for the market because the more that is fueled by ego, it's a lot easier for people with the real amount of money that are moving the market to anticipate those moves. And it was just a super interesting to see that kind of transition over the period of time from the earlier stages of me learning, growing, transitioning, becoming consistent, quitting job, all of those type of things. It, it wasn't what it is now. And I almost feel like there's such a bigger amount of pressure as to what you were talking about. Three losses in a row, that happens. Four losses in a row, that can happen as well. Uh, if I take this back like seven years ago, it wasn't uncommon to take 10, 15 losses, 20 losses. That didn't really mean anything. It was like, right, okay, you don't know what you're doing. You're learning how to trade. Where now everybody's world's turned upside down. Someone takes 20 losses when you don't know what you're doing, which can happen quite easily. They just give up or they quit or they jump from system to system. My question is to you as to trend, how many strategies have you traded throughout? If you was to say styles, is it two, three, yeah, I've, I've traded two styles. Before this, I, I actually consistently traded a support resistance EMA-based style. Um, that, that was before I made the transition to Falcon. But I completely resonate with what you're saying. People, and kind of bringing it back to RuneScape for a couple of seconds, it honestly gave me tough skin because kind of that, the problem is, is we can throw a lot of cliches and quotes and, and all these things that sound very motivational and they make sense. But until you actually live them, like what's that Warren Buffett one? I think it's the uh, the market can say can stay more irrational than you can stay solvent. Mm -hmm. I remember there was this one particular person 
who literally, he, he worked with us and he gave up odds. He was running a, I believe, a 47.5% chance game of chance, meaning he had 47%, 47.5% chance of him winning. And he won a lot for about eight months, I think. Mm-hmm. Right, and he was time. so annoying because at first you're like, "Ha ha, you're giving up odds, you're gonna lose." But he'd win, and he'd win big, mm-hmm. and every day again and again and again. And I remember, I was like, "Law of large numbers." And it's funny enough, he was playing a decently high sample size. Like I'm talking hundreds, if not in the thousands. Mm-hmm. And I remember at some point, even I was like, "Man, I was like, does law of large numbers just not know this guy exists? Like it's just <laughs> he, he's the one. He's broken the system." And in that time, what happened to him? He made more and more money. He got, he got more egotistical. He'd literally, we'd have math on our side and he'd tell us we didn't know what we were doing. It's just math. You're literally looking at a game with more odds. And he's like, no, this one is better because he was just winning a lot. And what did he do? He bought seven MacBook Pros. Why? And he literally answered, because I can. And then he lost all the money eventually after eight or nine months in about 24 hours because he overrisked and he was playing a game with negative edge. It caught up to him, you know, and all the, he had the entire Apple shop behind him. He had every single Apple product. They had multiple of them, you know, and he was talking down to people and he lost a lot of friends, but it's the same exact thing. And, and I kind of bring it back to the bigger question of, there's a question that I've always asked myself when, when going behind any big endeavor is what do I hope to get out of this? And does it make sense what I'm about to do? So for this is, okay, I wanted financial freedom. I wanted the ability to work from home. I wanted the ability to do whatever I wanted, to travel as I please. More or less, from a statistical point of view, I wanted a life that would be better than more or less 8 billion people. Mm-hmm. The question is, is what am I going to pay for that? And I'm not talking about money. And if you told me I can get that life in three months, that would make no sense because either I am the world's most gifted person or everyone else on the planet is incredibly stupid because who doesn't want a life like that? Who would not want an ideal life where you can do whatever you want? Who, like, seriously, who's going to be like, nah, man, actually, I'd, I'd, I'd prefer to be miserable, you know? So this is where it becomes interesting because people come in and, and they want to achieve it really quickly and they're not willing to pay their dues because when you're taking a lot of losses and that 20 losses on demo, for instance, I'm, I'm saying be proud of that because it's painful because you're invested in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. At minimum loss, like taking 20 losses on demo is great. You're not losing anything, but then at some point you have to lose a bit of money and then the sleepless nights come in. But for you to make, like, like, like if you're trading $10 million, right? And your 1% is 100K and you take the same trade that you took four years ago, you're taking it now, but on 10 million and then you make 10% and you make a million in 24 hours, it's the whole skill set that, that taught you to get that there, that you have now the privilege of a million dollars in 24 hours or a week or, what, or a month, whatever it is. And lifestyle doesn't continue to scale up. And what I mean by that is it caps at some point. There's only so much money you can spend that it actually becomes harder to spend the money, becomes easier to make more money, but more people are not willing to live and reach that point where the whole thing pays them backwards. You know, where that longevity now, it actually becomes harder to spend the money than it is to make it. And the question, as I bring back, is what are you willing to pay for that? And that comes in effort. It's not, it's not a dollar amount. But if you want a life unique to everyone else, well, you're going to have to pay tribute for that. That's kind of how I've always seen it. Yeah, no, I, I fully resonate with that. It, the word I think about when you say all of that is the word sacrifice. Mm-hmm. I, I get this question a lot, and I'll be curious to hear your thoughts on this as well. You know, how can I achieve more balance? That is probably one of the most common questions that I, that I receive. And from my perspective, that 
it's not the balance can't be achieved because I do believe the balance is healthy. But at the same time, you just have to ask yourself the question, what is it that you want? So when someone says, right, I want to achieve some uh, more balance, I want more of a stable, balanced way of doing this, my then question is that what, what are you willing to sacrifice? That is the next question. How much success do you want? If you just want to be you know, mediocre or above average, well, then it's a certain level of sacrifice. If you want to be wealthier than that, then, well, then there's a next level of sacrifice. And if you want to be super wealthy, and have investments and growth and all of that type of stuff and have generational wealth and do whatever you want when you want with whoever you want. It takes a different level of sacrifice. So it's always interesting, the psychology of asking that question. Now, at the root of the core of it, it's all psychology. It's trying to find a way that makes it easier because there's discomfort. So the word sacrifice, it always had a bit of a negative connotation towards it. But then if we look at examples, what examples do you know of people that balanced their way to success. Do you think Elon Musk balanced his way to success? He's sleeping in the office, but his level of what he wanted to achieve is in the billions. So there's just a certain level of sacrifice that needs to be made. And I think upon all of us in trading, whether you've got in trading for the right reason or not, there has to come a point in which you look at yourself in the mirror and say, listen, what am I willing to sacrifice to make this happen? How much level of success do I actually want? So then my question to you, Abdu, is that when you scaled up, let's say, after you broke your first 100K, right? Feelings are different, zero to 100, arguably. We've spoken about this on on podcasts in the previous time. Arguably the most difficult period, zero to 100. How have you felt transitioning, breaking through that into the highest six figures? Has your thought process or decision-making based on how you've traded changed? Uh, Was your mind before maybe searching for percentages and things like that, has that shifted where you became more about your risk. Just curious to hear your thoughts and how you transitioned as you scaled up with more capital. Okay. This, this is a fun one. Cause it, it, you actually asked a few things there. I want to go on a few things and I'll start with the sacrifice bit. I, I understand there's a negative connotation of sacrifice, as you said, but I really don't see it again because you could say it's sacrifice in terms of like a martyr perspective where someone's mm-hmm. dying for a cause. Maybe that's the negative way, but that's also dying for hopefully an idea to stay alive. Um, and I could draw a different perspective in terms of Yu-Gi-Oh!, you would sacrifice some of your monsters to spawn a way bigger monster. You know, that's more powerful that would win you the duel for those of you who have watched. Yu-Gi-Oh! I've lost all of my Yu-Gi-Oh cards, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the way that I saw it is like, so bringing it back to my first strategy when I was trading support resistance, I was already consistent and full time at the time. Mm-hmm. And what I felt off about it was because there was profit targets in, in the strategy mm. and I couldn't justify not having certain profits at some point. I was like, how would we know that this is not the trade to go on to make 10, 20, 30, 40%, exactly. whatever. It was just that, and I couldn't, I always thought we were cutting our trade short, you know, that we went for a safe one to two or one, one to three, but I was like, what if there was more? And it felt like there was a limit. Now there's one part of me that said, hey, you're full-time, you've achieved the goal. Now you just have to do this for a period of time and it'll just grow and grow. Yes, I don't disagree with that. But there's the part of me that was still obsessed with what I do. Like I genuinely really liked and still do. I love trading. So part of me says, why do I not want to trade this to a level that I can, I knew there was still another level for me, you know, that I could push this even more and more. So I remember it was a big sacrifice because at the time I knew about Falcon and, and I knew about trademark instruction. Specifically, you guys didn't trade with profit targets was what to me was the missing piece of the formula. And the second part of it was that it was purely price action. And logically, why did this work for me? Because the thing that I didn't like about support resistance was the EMA. And, and, and the question was, is 
everybody can see the EMA. So where's my edge? Mm -hmm. I was like, if everyone knows a rejection off the EMA is to sell, I was like, dude, like, where, where, where's the edge? How can I have a piece of information? Because that's where people get it wrong. They, they try to apply logic. Again, this is where it falls, where they'll tell you, hey, I want to invest in a company. And you're like, okay, what's the company? And let's just say it was Tesla a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And you'll be like, why? And they'll be like, well, because electricity is the future. The thing is, everybody knows electricity is the future. No one here is arguing that in 2100, the world's going to be on oil. It is so, so unlikely that we're still using gas and oil and, and your conventional cars in 2050 or 20, uh, 2100. So there's no edge in that buying. You don't possess a piece of information that people don't have. So you take that to stocks. Why is it that things like Coinbase dump on, on, on the launch? Because the train has already went. It's been confirmed. It's Why do we say buy the rumor, sell the fact? Mm-hmm. Because when you're buying it, you're buying it when there's still an element of risk of, hey, this is how I think the world is hedged right now. This is how I think this is the world is going. Here's the reasons and factors to bet that once it's all confirmed, why is it going to go up? Everybody knows now. So if it does, it's usually a short-term pump and then it drops because the people actualize their profits at the start. So bringing it back to my trading, trading price action was interesting to me because you can read price action so many ways. An indicator by definition is lagging. The, the EMA does not move until the hour closes. The Fibonacci is the same thing. So I was like, if I can now have no indicators on my screen, this can't be removed. RSI can be rendered useless because everybody sees it. Same thing potentially with FIBs. Now, I'm not saying it's a lot more difficult to render them useless, but there was that thought process in the back of my mind that this may not work one day. But price action alone, I was like, this is brilliant because we're not all looking at it the same way. So how you look at it and how I look at it could be complete opposites. So that to me was a huge plus in the sign of sustainability. And in terms of mastering it in its simplicity form, that I don't have to add more, that more is less in the most positive sense. So taking that in, that's why I made the switch. Now let's bring it to sacrifice. Well, I'd already started to go full-time. I didn't have a job. I was living off my trading expenses, a bit of capital saved on the side. And I had to ask myself the question of, what if I don't make a return for the next year? You know, my life depends on this. This is still my income now. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And that was really scary. But I was like, okay, I have enough expenses to cover a year. I can learn it. But there was still that thought process in the back of my mind of what if I did this for a year, didn't work out, do I then go back to my previous strategy and I have to relearn that? Because I'd now probably be bad, right? Because I'd have to unlearn stuff, learn something new, and then go back again. That's a lot of wasted time. That's potentially, uh, you know, draw down all these things. It's very, very scary. And this is from a position of more success. But I knew it was the right move for me. And I did because something felt wrong in my trading at the time that I felt limited and I didn't want to feel limited. And I knew the Falcon strategy off my research at the time showed that I can do so much more with it. So I made the switch and, and kind of bringing it together on that point of sacrifice. I think sacrifice is interesting because you can quantify the sacrifice you can do today. And I learned this both the hard way and the good way. And what I mean by that is, you know what's happening in your life today. You don't know what's happening a year from now. So at the time, and, and for those of you who know me know this, I spent a lot of time backtesting and putting the hours. But what was happening to the world around me? My grandfather was going older. He felt more sick and I wasn't aware of it. You know, it's the same way our parents age. So achieving consistency faster, albeit you could argue is sexier or more cool or awesome. Life was still going around. What was the cost I paid for that? In spending at the start 16 hour days every day for months on end, it ruined also my, my personal relationship with my girlfriend because I wasn't spending time with her. I could argue that my, my, my perspective was, hey, I'm trying to build financial freedom for her and I. I'm trying to get this life that is better than, than all that. 
She just wanted to spend time with me and build and pre- build memories in the present, but I just wasn't present. So it's, I was, it's like I hedged my entire bet on a future that my grandparents would be healthy, that my, my girlfriend was waiting, would be willing to wait for potential years. What if I failed? You know, that's obviously still going through her mind. It doesn't matter how confident they are in you. There's still that thought process that goes of, what if they don't pull this off? So then they've lost years that they could have just spent with someone else. And that's the thing is as to why people make a lot of these short-term decisions, why people take on mortgages, for instances, because you know, mathematically, if anybody runs the math on mortgages, they're absolutely terrible, but there's that thought process. I get the house today. We'll be happy right now. I'll be sad later because it's easy to say you'll be sad later. If you smoke cigarettes, for instance, if you, what is it they say? I think you lose five or seven minutes per cigarette. Yep. If you lost that seven minutes today, I promise you nobody would, like if your day went from 24 hours and you smoke a pack and you're down to like 22 hours or whatever it is, you would, you, no one would smoke, but you lose it later in life. So when you're 20 smoking and you're going to lose something when you're 80, you don't really give a shit until you're 79 and realize, oh, I could have had 10 more years or 15 more years, but now I only have 12 more months because of something I did in my 20s. So those sacrifices are both positives and negatives is I was not able to witness my last grandfather's healthy years. I'm taking care of him. I'm glad I'm there. And and that's working at me in a different way where I'm not super, super hard on my trading now because I spend a lot of time with my grandparents because yes, chances are these are his last years, balance of probability, you know, but I want to walk away from this knowing that that part of my conscience is cleared. Same thing with spending time. So when the question and bring it in is what are you willing to sacrifice? And the balance question, it's very difficult to actually answer because what are your priorities? The answer is not always just more money. You know, it can be spending time with loved ones. It can be building something you can enjoy. It can simply just being enjoying nice weather and getting drunk. You don't have to succeed in terms tomorrow, but it's understanding the price that what you are paying for today. You know, I know it's a bit of a deeper answer, but it's, it's so much more in depth than what people make it out to be. Of course. And I, and I think this, uh, you touched on some really good points. And I think it's from the perspective that people want to know what is the perfect routine. They, they, want, they want the millionaire routine. Like, what do I do in the morning? Tell me exactly what I need to do so then I can do this and then I can have all my time here. Nothing will get influenced. I won't ever miss out on this. They don't know what it looks like. But the thing is, balance is dynamic growing up in a very similar situation to yourself, having to have re- responsibility as you have right now, I have exactly the same thing. So I've, I fully, fully resonate with that because you do miss out on those periods of time. And, and I'm, I'm experiencing that literally right now. I'm four weeks away from having my parents move in, but at what cost? So even though that I've been there, even though I've been there for my family every step of the way, there's been times where I've just been 1000% just fully into my projects right? And I've missed out on so many things, but playing the risk that they will still be around to be able to experience it. It's a very, very difficult thing to do. However, I knew that I needed to do that. There was, there was no other option. So I was left with no choice to either, okay, become more present or I go harder than ever before, but I create a situation that would buy back lots of years. But again, tomorrow is not promised. So then when you're playing with things like that, it becomes very, very difficult, which brings in more emotions, right? So you're trying to like, how does that feel when you're trying to break through, for example, or you're going through rough periods and then things are not going as planned. And then of you've course, got that in the back. It's, like, it's very it's, difficult. And, and that's very, the part where difficult. TA doesn't matter in that point because you're not seeing it. You know, what's happening in your mind, even breaking through six figures for the first time, it's a massive moment. 
But at the same time, and now I have to learn how to use money. I have to not get super euphoric and spend money recklessly. I have to not risk because those demons, as I said, they come back to you again. There's the part of you that makes 10K for the first time and you're like, oh, let's do it again faster because that's human nature. Why the hell not, right? And having those moments happen and, and seeing it around, as you said, sometimes you have to fully focus on your project. And that's exactly what happened. And I got in the negative too sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. When people think sacrifice, they're thinking not going out to the pub with their friends, which yes, yeah. that is part of it. That happened to me. Staying home and taking care of my grandparents, I gave out nights out. I would, you know, I'd be on a date with my girlfriend and I'd come home way earlier. Like I'd, like I'd genuinely come home at 6.30 sometimes. 6.30, you know? I'm, I'm an adult and I tell my girlfriend, sorry, I have to be home almost like it's a curfew, funny enough, before curfew was a thing. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, but that's what it was like. And, and those were the sacrifices because the choice was to still be there for my family. The choice was also for the training work. Even right now in the current schedule that I'm on, I go to bed at like 7 p.m. my time because I wake up for London session at 3 a.m. every day. So it makes social life very difficult. Assuming the pandemic wasn't happening, what ends up happening is Friday, Saturday, I go to bed late which is not even good from a health perspective because I just completely changed the way I sleep two days of the week. And then during the weekday, I go to bed early and start my day at 3 a.m. Trust me, when I wake up at 3 a.m. and it's pitch black outside, I'm not ecstatic that I'm up at this time. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm happy with the life I'm in. I'm completely grateful for the freedom that I have. But there's still the part of me that says, why am I up at 3 a.m.? You know, there's, I'm tired. I'm sleepy. I, w- I want to go to bed. You know, you don't wake up every day like, oh man, life's amazing. Maybe you do, but you know, like 3 a.m. I don't want to talk to anybody. Like, <laughs> leave me alone. <laughs> but it's, it's what it is. And it's a lot of these things as, as you were scaling up. And even the scary part that I think a lot, I remember I experienced this was as I passed six figures, there was still the part of me because everybody around me doubted trading that it was still that whisper in the back of my mind of what if you're just lucky this whole way, you know, like as if the whole thing's going to come toppling down, even though I had the math on my side, I had the edge, I had the journaling to prove it. There was still that thought process that says, dude, you got lucky. You know, this, you're, you're going to hit that really big loss streak and everything you've built is going to come burning down. Mm-hmm. And those are another things that you take. And all of a sudden you take three losses in a row and that you, you take three wins it's like, oh, you got lucky. You take three losses, that voice is like, yep, you're bad. That's you, right? It's like your self-worth is attached to every single trade. And it's, it's why I think it's even proven psychologically that losses hurt way more than, than wins do in terms of the positive effect. So you lose three trades and you win three trades, you're not break even. Psychologically, you're like, oh man, I, I, I lost, you know, like I, I could have been better. But, you know, it's the same thing. And, and why does that happen? It's the same thing with trading. When you take a win, when you're trying to lock in 1%, for instance, your trade has to run around, what, more or less 2.5%. But to take a loss, your loss doesn't have to go to 2.5% loss for you to lose 1%. It just has to go to 1% loss. So it feels like you're in an uphill battle consistently, you know, that, that, that the game is against you. But that's what it is psychologically, because most of the factors people are not going to share with you. And I think where people then can now use this as a negative as well, is they then almost go for this advocate, like advocacy of like, you can see it right now, it's happening a lot, actually, the whole concept of wokeism, you know, where it's like, wake up to everything that's happening. Look, everything is this, everything is that, which becomes very toxic in itself, because you're just playing the same spectrum on the opposite side of the pendulum, you know, and it it doesn't work. And it's, it works against you. And you see so many examples of that. Uh, All the time, all the time. And sometimes it becomes very deceptive. Right. That's what I was thinking about when you were talking about those things and even association. So, you know, when you were talking about 
the the loss is affecting you more like they've done studies on this stuff like we, you the reason why we feel that more is that it actually scientifically hurts us more like something around 70% so when you feel these negative emotions they're far more potent than anything positive so no wonder when you take a winning trade you feel good you feel great etc and you take a loss you take it personally well of course you do because th that's just how that works so this is why association with losses is so important i mean logically it's easy to say right abdu let's say you just started learning how to trade and you said listen i'm i'm struggling with losses at taking losses i've done a losing streak i'm just feeling really bad about losses i could logically say imagine you have a business and your losses are expenses and you could say hmm yeah that makes sense okay they're just expenses but if you don't change your association in the moment with those losses logic doesn't mean anything so this is why that only happens with the repetition and experience of taking those losses, building the thick skin as you built in, in RuneScape, right? All of these things are so fundamentally important as you're scaling up. So then you don't take these things personally. This is why it's funny, right? If you look at the industry as a whole, what is the most thing that's spoken about? Technicals, right? Absolutely, yeah. yeah like everywhere, like it's spoken about the most technicals, yet it's almost it's almost like when it's on the packet you know smoking kills it's like right in front of you smoking kills but you still smoke it and you ignore you ignore what's in front of you 90% psychology 10% technicals what do people do focus on the technicals they they ignore the very thing that they know if you ask the average trader what's more important psychology or technicals what do you think they'll say they'll psychology. say technicals of course you know, because that's where you can quantify the, the result right away. You can be like, I know what a double top is. Mm -hmm. So therefore that's progression. And that's the thing. Like if you take the journey in itself, when you're starting to trade you pro you, and you lose a lot, it's probably because you're bad, right? And we'll all agree on that. Good. Now you're at that next stage. You've been doing it for, I don't know, six months, a year. And you're at that pre-consistency level. Like you're right there. It, you can identify where the market turns. You're pretty good at identifying areas of value, but you just can't get the, the, um, the tight entries in, you know, or the, the right part. So all of a sudden now you're dealing with a bit of frustration and you go with some loss streaks again. So this time it's like, well, look, I'm tagged in and out, but it goes in the right direction more oftentimes than not. So there's the part of you that wants to tell you, hey, you know what you're doing. You're just getting unlucky. Then you now go to the next step, which actually becomes very difficult, I think, is your first time on decent capital. So let's just say, I don't know, I, I think the first one that really hits people is 50K because that's where 10% month, for instance, is a lot of money mm -hmm. uh, for like more than most people's salaries. So now you go a loss streak on that. The question is, is it probabilities or was it you underperforming? And that is so difficult to answer. How do you actually answer that when you can't ask people around you? You know, like, like communities actually, like, and trading space has been really good for that. Like that's where Falcon thrived for that because early on in the industry, it was just you. It was a really bad Facebook group back then, if anyone joined them, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you, if you valued everybody's experience as the same, that's where it messed up because no, you're not all the same. You know, like you, you can't put, say, like everyone these days, and I, I've said this out loud in other situations where if anyone's ever loaded TradingView, they call themselves a trader. I was like, this doesn't happen anywhere else. You, you don't, and, and this is where people don't understand this, where, like the, the, the seriousness of this and how well you have to take this. If you play a game of football randomly, like a game of pickup around you, you will never just show up and find Messi in your game. He's not just going to be there playing soccer. And you're like, oh, damn, one of the best football players in the world. Let me play with him. But when you take a trade, you are trading versus banks, institutions, hedge, you're playing against the best of the best. 100% of the time. 
So you're going to tell me in that moment, you have the capabilities to go at the end when you're two months in, that you know what you're actually doing. And they're all just what idiots, you know, like that's, that's the part that people don't like to talk to. Like, well, I've studied technicals. I know it now. And it's like, yes, maybe holistically, but the intricate details of where the money is actually made, where the consistency actually lies, the finer details, there's no way you would have known that because you can't, you wouldn't have been exposed to it. And you wouldn't, and, and that's where it goes back to certainty, you know, like a high test. Some, someone asked this question once was, um, do you ever measure the body to the height of the high test? It's not a bad question if you really think about it. Why is he asking this? Because he's looking for repeatability and he's looking for certainty. Meaning, hey, this was the exact high test last time before the short. If we get that again, it should happen. And if the high test doesn't form accordingly, a high test should just be a high test. You don't have to overread into it. But the mind wants that certainty. It's why a lot of people who um, do engineering, for instance, struggle because in engineering, we deal so much in math. You know, that's where RuneScape really, because I studied engineering and it was so funny because I had very two different selves within me. The one that was just exposed to a lot of probability. And there's the one that deals in mathematics and formula and science and precision. Mm -hmm. And they were both battling, you know, and it really did change my life because I brought logic and probability and it's the way I think now, you know, it's, it's just the likelihood to how I apply everything on such a minor level, but it, all these things, you really think you can it, live it in three months and, and the problems that you don't even know within yourself, instead of all the back testing webinars and I've continued saying it, you don't know what you don't know. And that could be a good thing, but it could also be a bad thing because the mistakes you skip over now will come back later. You don't just skip over a mistake and it's like, oh man, you lucked out. No, it'll just come back at a later stage. And you don't want it. You don't want to be discovering a fundamental flaw when you're trading over seven figures just because you lucked your way there. This is why sustainability has to be at the forefront. It, it, it's, it's non-negotiable for the good of traders that you actually find something where it just happens to work for a period of time. If you don't approach things with sustainability, it will bite you in the ass later on down the line. It will. No, it, dude, I don't know if anyone would believe me if I say this. I genuinely hate getting lucky. Mm -hmm. I'm not even joking when I say that. Because if I got lucky in a way in the positive sense, why can I not get 180 lucky, like unlucky in the opposite way? Like if I randomly made a million dollars doing God knows what, why can't I lose a million dollars? You know, like, well, it wouldn't happen. Well, if you made a million dollars luckily because you bought some random pump and dump, for instance, or whatever, who knows? Why, why can't you, um, oh, like you take over, there was this trade on, on KiwiN a while, I think it was KiwiN, right? There was no news, no nothing. People took a trade and then they got like 6% slippage. Mm-hmm. Imagine you, you know, and there was no, there was no major event. This was, this was not one of those dangerous trading moments where you're trading like the U.S. election. This was just a standard entry that, in most cases, would have been a tagged in, tagged out. But in that moment, it spiked so hard, and then they took like a six percent loss. Imagine if they were trading ten percent in that moment. You lost sixty percent of your account. You're, you're done. Your account's crippled because you don't, you don't make sixty percent back, and you're back to break even. You have to make way more than that because exactly. you don't have the initial balance anymore. And that sustainability, knowing that you can live to fight another day is so, so important. And this is the thing, like going off of things that you said, one of the most common questions that I often get asked is, Mark, what is actually one of the, the biggest reasons why people fail? I could think about so many things, but sometimes, and this is why risk management, what you're talking about is so important, because how can you know? No one can know the exact moment there's going to be a slippage or a huge gap and it messes up your account. Very difficult emotionally to recover from that. So then the question lies is that most people will succeed 
better if they just stuck around long enough. And what I mean by that is that statistically, most people, they, they blow their accounts, they lose their money. Why? It's because they don't have any respect for risk management whatsoever. So they lose. So then I look at it as if those people were taught good risk management, sometimes it's not their fault, sometimes it is from ignorance. But how many more people had the ability, the skill set to be able to follow processes, do what they need to do, become successful traders, but they gave up years ago. Why? Because the first three months, they had no risk management and they gave up. You have to be around long enough to learn the mistakes, feel the pain, feel like you're literally the best trader in the world. And then a week later, have to go back to the drawing board and think, I know absolutely nothing. <laughs> you know, like you have to feel those emotions and experience it. And then it's market cycles as well. Imagine only trading in a positive market cycle and then something gets difficult. And imagine you actually, which this happened, by the way, in 2013, 2014, 15, more 14 and 15, right? Traders made 200%, 250%. Some of it wasn't even uncommon at 400% right? They scaled up their capital, rightfully so. They got given investment. Who wouldn't give someone an investment to someone who's maybe stuck to a reasonable risk and then made 400% over, let's say, a couple of years? You'd think, oh, pretty confident. I'll give you 100K, 500K of my capital. Guess what happened? They started losing it, going into excessive drawdown because they'd never experienced anything else, which is why changing from a system to a system or being too rigid in the market that is literally forever evolving is a dangerous game and a slippery slope because you don't see it literally come and sweep you off your feet because we have variable change in the markets. And remember, if it was always just about just black box system, X, Y, Z, well, then you just find the most intelligent people in the world, they become the best traders. That hasn't ever happened, probably never will. So what does that show us? It shows us that we need flexibility variations and we need to be able to evolve incrementally with the market. Now, that doesn't mean every single day. That could mean every three years, for example. But you want to put yourself in a position where you can win for the longer term. And a question for you, Abdu, feeling how you're trading right now, when you first really understood impulse correction, the way the market's flowing from the price action of how we trade from your previous style, did that resonate with you from a point of view as that I can see myself? When was the moment that you sat there and thought, right, I'm, I, I can genuinely see myself trading this way for the next five years, 10 years, 15 years, what was the key thing that stuck out to you? You're not going to believe me if I say this, um, but the way we trade is based off psychology and it's the way I tend to actually dictate my moves in life. And funny enough, there's this parallel that I'd like to make is, and it's actually, I think, more important now more than ever where a lot of people now are part of the Falcon Fund and are going to begin to change their lives, scaling up into six and seven figures over mm -hmm. the year and next year and so on. Someone asked this question, where they're like, hey, Abdu, I've recently, or I'm about to go full-time. What is the thing I can do now to improve myself more and more? The way that I see it is, because there are, there are, it's very actually very hard to answer that question, because one, you don't know the person's life and tactile details. You don't know what's happening to their mind. But more importantly, the parallel I'd like to make is, I see life as impulses and corrections. I would absolutely love to take a trade and it just drops every day forever. You know, every time I come back, it's just another engulfing candle, engulfing. That'd be fantastic. But that's not how the market works. Yes, maybe two, three trades a year might just drop, 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 drop. But for most of them, they drop and correct and probably retrace. And you get, you add the incremental wins, the one and a half plus two. You're, you're not supposed to trade to make the 10, 12% trades. That's not how life works. You know, it's actually adding up all the small wins. 
And to, to finish this parallel, I see it in the same way where sometimes in life, you'll go through a lot of wins and that's you in an impulsive phase. And then you might have a small correction and you keep on impulsing again. And that's where you're going to have these very tangible, big wins in your life. You notice like, hey, I really leveled up right here. What's likely going to happen next? You're going to create a larger flag. You're going to correct, meaning there's going to be small wins and losses. Push up, push down, push up, push down. And that might last a week. That might, I mean, from a life perspective, probably in the last months before you level up again. But that's how it is. It's you now, you've impulsed. You need to reset in that way. You need to collect the orders. You need to collect the money before the next wave. What does that mean in a life perspective? It means learning what you just leveled up into, you know, getting accustomed to it, adjusting, making the mistakes that you try to push it a bit more and realize you get burnt or you move a little bit backwards and realize, no, I've leveled up. I'm better now. I'm over here. So now you're in that larger correction and no one can know when you're going to level up next. But with details, you can take a message from the market and you can apply that to your life. So funny enough, I just, I've always found that parallel to work super well. And I knew it would resonate in the way I traded because it's off of human psychology. And my biggest bet is human psychology is not going to change. You know, it didn't change with Corona. It's the same stuff that's happening. So the question is, what has to happen now for psychology to change? You know, and I don't think Thanos could even change psychology. So I think we're good, you know, and, and having my heads on something that seems, this is the certainty I'm betting on. That's me using that part of my logic that wants certainty. And I've targeted it into sustainability because I can sustain the likelihood that world governments are not going to fall, that the banks are not going to fall, and that psychology is not going to change. As long as those remain facts, I can keep trading and I don't have to completely, you know how difficult it would be if I right now had to start at ground zero again, while all the bills I have to pay and the life, like I'm just, lives are responsible for and the things that I do, if I just had to go back to square one, you could say that's cool. I know Gary Vee like, likes to talk about the journey, but he's talking about it in terms of enjoying the journey, not a forced reset. Mm-hmm. So if I can mitigate the forced reset and that's where I have that certainty, then yeah, I have that. And I love that. You know, that's me betting that the world will continue to be the way they are, that banks are not going to change the way they trade because they haven't. So why would they now? You know, human psychology will still be the same. And all I have to do is just make sure that I'm evolving the market, as you said, which is just minor details. That's part of you being passionate for your work and doing the stuff you have to do. If you stop doing the things that got you, yes, your results will eventually suffer. Probably not right away. Maybe not even in a couple of years but you just won't have the maximum edge that you did. And some people might be okay with that, you know, because as you grow up in life, you find other things that you like and that's okay. You know, we, 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 we change our priorities, but as of right now, I know I'm still really passionate about trading and I intended to like, I feel like that's going to continue. And then the reason why is I've literally had probability on, on the table. I've been dealing with risk ever since I was like 13 or 12 or whatever it was. Like that's majority of my conscious life. So to me, this is actually like breathing, like having money on the table is something that is very normal to me versus someone else. I've seen people at the casino bet $20 and they get nervous. And these people are worth like net worth 100K. Mm-hmm. Why are you nervous over $20? Because they never put risk on the table. So to them, it's like, oh man, am I really about to lose $20? Or they make like $50 and they're ecstatic. It's not that $50 is going to change their life, but it's that euphoria, that adrenaline, you know, and, and that's all part of it. See, I thought I started early, 18 years old, and then uh, Mr. Abdu coming in with the 14 years old. <laughs> <laughs> it was luck. That, that was an area of luck. I, I got to admit that. Yeah, well, it's, these things, that they're good to be exposed to uh, earlier ages because you do learn a lot of things about yourself, how to deal with things. Like To the point that I, 
I think in probabilities in pretty much everything now. Like it's it's a strange thing to explain, but I generally sometimes even catch myself thinking about it. Like you can think about it in so many different ways. It's super interesting. Like trading it, it, it happened to me in university. So what I was doing so in university is a lot of tenured professors, and I went to like high end university. They they repeat their exams. So if I've got their past exams of 2014, 2015, 2016, and I realize, oh, look, there's only like a 10% variation per exam, I can either study the 12 chapters or I could just study the previous exams and know how to study them. So the question becomes is, well, what if they don't repeat again? Well, that's the realm of probability you're playing. I'm like, he just repeated it for the last four, five, six, seven years. What's the likelihood he's not going to repeat again? And I did this for all 45 of my engineering classes. And you know how many times it worked in my favor? About 42 of them. So, you know, like people are like, how did you go through engineering? I was like, I played the system. I played the psychology. I minimized my study time because if I had to study all of those chapters individually, I'd have to spend hundreds of hours. But I realized, hey, this teacher, who's the same teacher and all of them for the past X amount of years, they repeated their behavior. Why is he going to make a new exam? He's been doing this for 25 years. Does he really care? He knows his exams are out there and he hasn't done anything about it in the last seven years. Why this year is he going to be suddenly motivated to change a new exam? And yes, it happened three times, but the 42 times it didn't, I got A's, a Dean's List, you name it. You know, I, I, I completely pareto it. I did, I focused all, like I 80 20 did, right? And I put all of that and I hedged my position on that they're going to repeat their exam. I acknowledge that if they don't repeat their exam, I would likely fail the class. And what would happen then? Just do the class again. So the downside was I lose a semester potentially. You know, but in actually studying the three times they didn't repeat, I didn't get A's, but I still understood the material. So I was still able to, to solve it. I just ended up in those classes with like a B and a C. It is what it is, you know, but that's playing the probability with, I applied it to what was happening. And I think it's a really cool story. But when I tell people, and I remember at times there was thousands of students, I'm like, guys, he's going to repeat the exam. They're like, how do you know? And I'm like, because he's done it every single time. I'm like, without fail, he's always done this. <laughs> they're like, well, what if he doesn't? I'm like, well, then we, we lose. You know, what I mean? I was like, well, like we have to accept that risk. And they would overstudy. And then in the end, he'd repeat. And this is funny because this happened. And like joking about sample size, I have a few friends that until exam number, I think 30, they still overstudied. Even though they had 30 times we did this together over the years, five classes a semester, you know, we're going at it. That what if was still more powerful to them. Once we got to around the 30 mark, they're like, Abdu, I'm fully with you. We're just studying this past exam. Good luck us. We're going for it. So if you're telling me three years and 30 exams over semesters that people couldn't undo that probability because the sample size was only 30 and it was spread out over three years. Same exact thing in trading. You tell me you take three losses and you're demotivated. It's like, and it's the same thing in the opposite perspective. If you take three trades in three months, you're only down 3% if you lost all three. But the fact is, you're saying you waited for three months. It's almost like you tried to be a sniper and then you missed three times and you're looking at it as 90 days. It's not that you just only lost three. It's, man, I've been waiting weeks and weeks and weeks on this position, tagged in and out. It's the worst feeling to cope with. You did something wrong. You had to. You stayed out of the market, out of everything. The bad trades went without you. They all made money. This, this person who has no idea what he's doing took a two-pip stop loss and made 8,003%. And then you waited, you focused your shot, you took your shot, instantly tagged in and out. Yeah, tell me you're just going to get over that. <laughs> yeah, you know? very, very, very disheartening. Very, very disheartening. Incredibly. And it's the same thing with my engineering story. People, there was that thought process, what if he doesn't? The safer thing is to study more. Absolutely agreed. Math, logically, it is. 
but I played the odds. And what did the odds do? It gave me time because that extra time that I was not spending on engineering, I was spending it on trading, you know, but I accepted the risk both ways that I knew if my bet was incorrect that the teacher would not repeat, I would fail this examination or likely would, you know, but that's playing the numbers game. So I've, I've done it in so many different ways, but again, it's been a, over a decade doing this. Uh, well, it's a huge advantage now. And I mean, scaling up, I'm sure you've got plans for the future as, as, to, as to where you want to go. And that's, that's kind of where I wanted to, uh, to, to finish this up of like the next few years for you. I mean, what does that, what does that look like to where you are now? Like you've, you've grown tremendously. Uh, I mean, firstly, just a big shout out to, to what you do for the community, the backtesting webinars yourself and Ibi as well. Just incredible, incredible work. Like it's been such a positive shift for you guys doing that. So I think I can speak on behalf of myself and the whole Falcon team and the community. So that is awesome, awesome stuff. But what, what does it actually look like for you the next two years? It's interesting because I think I'm kind of using my parallel. I'm at that correction part again, you know, mm. and within corrections, you have impulses, obviously, which is the cool part. It's not just you're correcting, which means it's dull. It just means you're, you're kind of finding yourself again, you know, and now that I've scaled up dramatically and all these things, I think that, like I've really enjoyed what I've been doing with Falcon. That's been honestly a breath of fresh air in a different way because it's really fun teaching. Not only it's made me a better trader. That's absolutely for sure. Because I have to, what I understood before I've had to understand better because you don't know how a student's going to ask you a question, you know, and if they don't understand your explanation, you don't just tell them, Oh bro, you're stupid. Like, no, you think of a different way to explain it. And I'm sure this happens to you when you record the Sunday market breakdown, it wouldn't take you 10 hours. If you're just doing it for you, you're thinking of the possible questions that people can ask based off the current price action. Exactly. So that that's what it is in that way. And honestly for myself, like I'm still incredibly, I'm, I think I'm even more passionate about trading than I ever was, you know, and, and that's because I have such a deep rooted history in, in probabilities and, and, and risk. So that to me is to still scale up in that way. I'm, I'm looking to grow that. I'm, I'm looking to go more down like the fund routes and things like that. I don't intend on ever working for an institution, for instance, but mm -hmm. I, I like studying them and, and reverse engineering what they're doing because I, like, I care about this and the different market cycles and the dynamics. So to me, in another way, I'm, I'm back in that drawing board, but without the downsides of not sacrificing something else in, in the sense of, oh, I need to go to school or I need to satisfy this person. I'm doing it for me, which I think is huge, you know? And at the same time, if, if it wasn't the pandemic right now, I'd spend a lot more time on, on more outside skill sets as well. You know, I, I'd recently picked up martial arts a couple of years ago, but I could spend more time on the culinary mm -hmm. skills, things like that, that I never, that I sacrificed early on, you know, even experiencing the world. I think that's going to be a huge part once we're allowed to again, for me is I've, I travel the world a lot as a younger person, but I didn't appreciate it what it was. I didn't get to see the cultures for what they were, you know, being a more sound state of mind. Now I, I want to really see what makes each part of the world, that part of the world, you know, the Asian cultures, the Eastern cultures. I'm obviously, I, I come from the Middle East, so I understand that, but I still want to see it again, see, leave no stone unturned. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a very curious person. And I know even things like you could say like ancient medicine, you know, that works really well in, in parts of the Middle East and I'm sure other parts of Asia right? Where it's like, why is it we still have this knowledge? So that to me is, I think the next few years in that is, is really growing in that way, becoming more and more knowledgeable. Because I think the more you know, the, the more you realize you don't really know anything. Mm -hmm. And you actually become more curious in that way. And to be in that position, so to continue to grow, grow with Falcon, I think is obviously a huge, that's a must for me. You know, I've, I've really enjoyed the ethos Falcon has, you know, and it's, it's particularly why I stated, because it's not just about the strategy. I think the strategy is I, and I mean this in the most polite way, the worst part of it, you know, 
And I, I'm not talking from returns. I'm talking in terms of it offers so much more. You know, there's so much like where Falcon is headed to me, is, I think is incredible. And that's to me is the part that's more important because teaching and all that is there. The pathways there, the fund is there. You can grow up, but it's everything after the fact, mm-hmm. you know? And, and that to me is, has kind of why I've also hedged my bet on you. If you want to take it back a bit, you know, you're playing probabilities. And I remember this will be a quick story before we wrap this up, but listening to you in the Sunday market breakdown, I asked myself, the simple question is after this person has taught you to trade, are you going to still stay in contact with them? And I don't think anybody really asked that question because if you do something that changes your life as trading likely will for everyone who achieves it, obviously, why would you stop talking to those people? You know, like, would I just be like, all right, thanks, Mark. Peace. Bye. You know, like, <laughs> like it, why would that happen? People are very romantic in that way. They want to have their high school friendships stay with them their entire life. You know, the whole we've been friends since day one. So why would this be any different? So the question I ask myself is next is, can I see myself growing with you? You know, do you have the values that I have? How do you present and how you present yourself and, and the authenticity that you show to the world to me was so massive because a lot of trading strategies work. That's not the hard part. It's not hard to find a trading strategy that works, but it's everything after fact, the experience that comes with it for them to ability to tell you what can happen next, you know, and the growth and the fact that you're still, and I'd argue actually more motivated in Falcon now than at the start. I'm sure it's different levels of motivation and passion, mm-hmm. but you're, you're not burnt out. You're not done with this project. You know, you want it to go even farther, you know, and, and that to me is, is so, so important. And, and being a part of that is just something that, I passionately uphold because I resonate with those values and something I've always said where it's like, you got to look after the fact, you know, and it's like, all right, I'm consistent now. I'm, I'm doing these things and I'm, I've scaled up. Now what, you know, and, and that to me is where everything's at. So that's kind of, I know I didn't precisely attack the, what my next two years is, but that's because it's a lot of things and I'm happy. I'm, I'm finding new me, you know, you know, the, the, maybe it's the, the new me that will be presented to the world. That's where that's being born now. So I think that's just kind of the, uh, the most honest answer I can give on that. No, that, that's amazing stuff. I appreciate all the kind words as well. That means uh, that means an awful lot. They're completely true. You know that. Like it's it's definitely. I I don't say it in terms of just like gassing you. I say it in in the deepest form of my heart because I think that's and I think a lot of people can resonate with that. You know, um, it's it it's about the people. It really is. You know, the inner circle, all that. I'm sure you've experienced this. Like back in the early days, you can be in the worst apartment. You know, eating food off the floor with your friends and you can have the best of time, mm-hmm. you know, and it's that, that I don't think that really changes in terms of when you're around the right people is where everything else doesn't matter. So it's like everyone's looking for financial freedom. Everyone's looking for, absolutely. I agreed. Of course. Why wouldn't we want that? But it's everything after. And I think you, you carry such a and Falcons all carry such a big ethos in that, that I think it's a bit of a responsibility for me to continue to share that. A hundred percent. And and for me, it's just always new, more and more challenges. You know, I've been doing this for 12 years. It's a long time when you think about your period of life, like 18 year old till now. Of course, I've had lots of different jobs and struggled and breakthroughs through all of that. I mean, I wasn't just trading from 18 and then I'm here, right? There's a, there's a lot in between that. And I'll definitely be going into like a full documentary of that, which I'm incredibly excited about more from just looking back point of view. But for, for me, it's just about the obsession of wanting to grow and improve and then help other people. You know, I was going to ask you to uh, come to the Falcon Dubai party before you said that the strategy was the worst thing, but (laughs) (laughs) I lost my invitation. (laughs) Yeah, So the invitation's gone. It was there, but no jokes aside, that's, that's going to be super fun. That's going to be super fun. But I am really hoping we can actually like, as of right now, Canada, like we've been on, 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 uh, 
on lockdown since the bubonic plague. So like, I don't know if we're coming out of lockdown, but <laughs> I, I still have high hopes I'll be able to come to Dubai when the time comes. A hundred percent. And it, it's moments like that. That that is what it is for me at the core. And I know sometimes the thing, the hard part in my position is sometimes I know the very thing that I'm saying is is going to go over someone's head. It's it's sometimes the cliche thing. It's sometimes the repetitive thing. But it's the right thing. It's the very thing that they need to hear. And it's very very difficult for me to say anything but that because at my core I just know it in my bones. This is what people need to do to break through. Said it's not always the most attractive thing, but for those that really, really absorb it and pay attention, it's the moments like that of being in Dubai, celebrating success to each other. Like we all, we all know one another. We engage with each other. We're a very active, tight knit community. So we will know someone from someone. Right, that person was there. Now she's here. Now he's there. We will know those things. We will know before they've traded investor capital and now they are and their life is dramatically changed. Like what's not exciting about wanting to experiencing experience that? Shake someone's it, it's hand. It's so in exciting. And, and that comes from your honesty, you know, in terms of it's, it's not hype. It's not just, hey, guys, like even, even as a strategy, we've had highs and lows, obviously. You know, yeah. we'd be liars if we're just saying it's highs all the time. You know, but people do sell that, unfortunately, because that sells. And, and who doesn't want? But it's the same thing about the analogy is the market eventually corrects, you know, and that parallel from a psychological, from a life perspective happens market. And like, look, strategy's doing fantastic again. You know, like, and it always will because the data shows that over 30 years, and I'm betting that it will continue to thrive, you know, where the returns are absolutely there. So as, as a commonality, I think that's where people get it wrong because they're, they're chasing the next best highest. If there was one strategy out there that like consistently made like a thousand percent, we'd all be trading it. Like who wouldn't, you know, because why, why wouldn't you? But when you master a strategy that is sustainable and you realize, okay, hey, we can make 150, 200% a year, almost year after year, and sometimes more, dude, you are so good. You know? But unfortunately, people come into times like this with like crypto, you know, where they think 40% days are norm you know, and, and stuff like that. They come into a, such a zoomed-in period of time, and then the three-year bear market comes and they're, they're nowhere to be seen. You know? But exactly what you said, it's everything there. It's meeting in Dubai and, and actually putting those experiences, memories was like, dude, we grew up together. We scaled up together. We achieved 100%. what most people can't achieve together and solidifying that with like really cool memories. I think that's absolutely incredible. That, that, that vision is what keeps me alive. That's what keeps like when you mentioned about the whole 10 hours thing and like, and by the way, guys and girls, like you don't need to spend 10 hours on the weekend. Watching <laughs> this. Like I, I do that for a different reason. Right. And I'm obsessed with that. And it doesn't mean go and do a limited amount, but it's, those are the reasons as to why, like at my core, because I can, I can construct my watch list in 45 minutes. Like I, I know what happened on Friday. Like I'm trading the markets. So I, I have a very, very good idea of what's going to happen, but I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking about at all levels, everybody learns different. Some are more visual, some are more auditory, right? So you have to factor those things in. And I take that responsibility incredibly important. Like that is, that is me. That's one of the most important things. So yes, it could seem over the top to some people, but Sometimes it's that, it's that very thing that keeps that going. And it could be the difference of, you know, a tiny, tiny, tiny variation of explaining something in a different way that affects another hundred people that now understood something that they didn't the day before, right? That to me is important because granularly, incrementally over time, that adds up massively to speeding up someone's growth. That could speed up someone's growth from six months like when you look at the whole bigger picture. So for me, like I just get excited and 
I agree with you from what you said. I am now more motivated from when I started because everything that has been out there to manifest has now been achieved. So when you, I haven't actually spoke about that, right? So if I think about it, all the goals that I set, because when you create a project, business, whatever it is in your life, you kind of set things out to say like, this is the vision, right? I want to achieve this. But what happens when you achieve the vision? Because your vision might be, let's say 10 years down the line, but you actually achieved it in four. Then what? There's a, there's a six year gap of what you thought there. So mm-hmm. what comes next? So I'm essentially at this stage now where those things that I set out from day one, when I wrote it out in my journal and I visualized the type of people that I want around me, the people that I want to attract into the community, the goals I wanted them to achieve, the fun, the virtual trading floor, all these things, right? It's been achieved. Or if not, very, very close to ticking off pretty much every single thing. What's next? Scale. Massive scale. So for me, that's why I get incredibly excited to want to tweak, refine, do what makes the difference, do those important things for those reasons, just to help create an even smoother pathway. Arguably, from when we first started, we had very limit, limited resources. You guys and girls had limited resources to what you have now, right? And sometimes we have to look at it and say, well, what about the people that started in Falcon from day one that are now full-time trading, right? Full-time trading and Neil being one of them, as you know, as a coach, right? From day one, only had one webinar per week. That was it. And probably at 720p quality as well from click meeting, <laughs> but the good old click meeting days. But again, being resourceful with what you have is one of the best mental shifts that you can ever, ever achieve. So yeah, I, I'm honestly, I'm, I could go off this tangent for, for such a long period of time. I'm sure you I, I think to sum it up, which I think the part you said about everything being manifested now, you know, and earlier than time, I think that's incredibly cool and so powerful because one, it shows that what you set out to do usually is not achieved in a short period of time, but it's faster than the longer period of time. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's unlikely that you'll get consistency in three to six months, but it's also unlikely that it's going to take five years. You know, it's, and it's the same thing with these massive goals, which I think is super clear because people overestimate the short term, but underestimate the long term. And for where Falcon's going, I think like, I think would it be wrong for me to say it's like, this is like Falcon's level up now, you know, like Falcon 2.0 to say, I think would be a cool idea. I, I don't know. What do you think of that? 100% 2.0 incoming 2.0 I think that's sick absolutely man yeah no I'm excited uh, it's been a pleasure like this has flown by this podcast I'll, I'll be I'll be very very keen to get you back on I'm sure there's lots of different topics different things happening that we can talk about and uh, yeah I think there's been tremendous amount of nuggets for those that have really paid attention and listen I'm sure you're going to three step this one lots of key nuggets and Abdul I appreciate you going into so much detail and again I can't thank you enough for the level of dedication commitment and just overall just being a good person positive energy to the community you know it's very very rare to find so very grateful to have you part of the community and where falcon is going i've absolutely loved the man seriously this i have not felt the time you know and if there's something about my characters i will i will always remain with the honesty you know there's i I don't believe in in deceiving people and stuff like that i will tell it how it is and how i lift it the same exact way you do too you know and it's it's been a privilege for me to be on here so thank you No, you're very welcome. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed this podcast, episode one of Inside the Mind. I can't wait for the extra topics that we go into and how kind of diverse this podcast series can get. So this is literally the start. Let us know what you think. I'll be curious to hear your thoughts and I'll catch you in the next episode. Take care, everyone. See you, Abdu. Goodbye. Bye.